0: Hey, welcome to Win The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost and welcome into the pod. And uh, I'm almost laughing because this, I don't know how many times I've tried to record this little intro, but the problem is, you see, I've had a couple of weeks off because I had some more sort of bronchitis issues, which I seem to have had for half of the winter. And even though we're spring now, just hanging on for grim life, trying to get me down, and so I'm a bit out of practice doing my little intros. <laughs> and so I've had, to, I've had to, despite the fact that this is episode 85, uh, I'm still really, I, I was just struggling to get back in the groove of my, of my opening line. There's a lot of pressure sometimes that comes with these opening lines, you know. It's the first thing people hear when they tune into the podcast. I've got a real sort of form of consistency across the 80 something episodes of that line. Uh, sometimes now when I first meet people, that's kind of almost what they expect me to say. (laughs) So, uh, look, this is just the kind of pressures that a podcaster lives with in their lives. And, uh, and so this is take about a hundred of just trying to record this uh, first little bit of the episode. Anyway, lovely to have you in. Uh, what a good time. What a good time to be alive. Life's not complicated. The world's not uh, having any issues and we're all very relaxed. So that's good. (laughs) Um, slow, sorry for the slightly manic intro, but we'll get there. Uh, look, today on the podcast, we have uh, a guest out of the UK, Olivia Jackson, and Olivia is the author of uh, the book Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith, which isn't just her book, really, even though she's written it and curated it. she has What she's done is she's brought together uh, reflections and and insights from the stories of more than 140 people from around the world as they have navigated their unraveling, deconstructing faith journeys. And, and Olivia kind of takes us through in this book um, a bunch of different themes that we see in these stories. And I think if you've been listening to the shif- in The Shift f- for a little while, uh, you'll be familiar with some of these themes. But there's something really, uh, I don't know, validating perhaps again just about hearing from people all around the place the ways in which what some of us might have been wrestling with, questioning, wondering, trying to pull apart or put back together again or not, uh, are things that people all over the place are asking, wrestling with um, journeying through. And, uh, and that can be, especially uh, for the, because of the loneliness that can so on, uh, often accompany this journey, that can be a really meaningful thing. Uh, and there are also just some wonderful insights through this book as well. So it was a real joy to be able to speak with Olivia. So we're just taking a slight pause on our experiencing God, a uh, conversation uh, that we've been having over the last couple of episodes of the podcast, uh, to talk to with Olivia, but you'll actually see there's some, Again, even some themes from that conversation woven through some of the the chat that we have and some of the insights that she has gleaned from all of these different stories. Um, you know, I started this podcast. I started this podcast a number of years ago. I don't know, five years ago, maybe now, which is kind of crazy to me. And you know, <laughs> especially doing a podcast from New Zealand and doing one on you know where Christianity is like a very minority um, position in, in many respects. You know, like it's a, it's a niche thing now to have like a particular form of faith. And then to be like an even more niche uh, form of that faith, which is like deconstructing, maybe reconstructing Christians or whatever language um, we might be using to try and describe our journeys. Uh, Within that, you know, it's a niche within a niche, let's say that. And um, and yet sort of over time and over the last few years and, and in particular over the last couple of years, it's just been kind of, I guess, um, uh, encouraging and and fascinating to see the way in which more and more people have stumbled into it. And so, if you are, you know, if you do feel alone or a sense of isolation or disconnection in this journey, I uh, hope you are able to take some form of solidarity from things like the work that Olivia Jackson has done in this book, in in gathering together stories from people who have had, you know, very similar encounters. Uh, problems, challenges, experiences, questions, and so on. And even from the fact that, you know, my little niche within a niche podcast itself kind of has, I don't know, like 10,000 listens a month or something weird and crazy like that. So if you're one of those people, then hi, and you're not alone and you're one of many. And um, yeah, that, I guess for, for, for you know, I, I started talking to my computer five years ago by myself about all of this and to have found connection and hear from so many of you has been, yeah, really, it does feel like there is a sense that people who have been perhaps isolated historically within institutions are finding ways to have a voice and to feel like they're not alone. So I think that's a really beautiful thing. So this conversation with Olivia, it's a really good one. It's a great book. i encourage you to, to buy it, read it. Um, work your way through it if you'd like, and hear some of your own stories probably reflected in the stories of others. Or if, look, if this is not your story, to get insight into what it's like to go through this journey uh, and the things that come up along the way. So this is episode 85 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Today on On The Shift, I'm joined by Olivia Jackson. Olivia is the author of the book, Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith. And it's a book published earlier this year that shares from and reflects on the stories of more than 140 people from around the world as they have navigated through their unravelling beliefs. Thanks so much for joining me from the other side of the world, Olivia.
1: Sure, it's good to be here.
0: Um, I'd love to to, I guess, just begin by asking you a bit about your own faith background. Like, did you grow up in a religious environment? Uh, were you a church kid? Or or when did that kind of, what what was the shaping of your early faith life like?
1: Um, I grew up in a family which wasn't particularly religious um, at all. We went to church kind of Christmas, Easter, and the odd occasional Sunday in between. Very much, you know, it's the local, local village church, um, but no one was particularly fussed. Um, I went to, when I was 14, I was taken by friends on a sort of Christian summer camp thing for a week. And there, that was the first time I kind of experienced, I guess, charismatic worship and people who were on fire for the Lord and this kind Mm. of thing. Um, and I think it was, you know, it was a time when I was, you know, I was 14. I was re- really unhappy at school. I was painfully shy. Uh, and suddenly here were all these lovely, genuinely lovely, I think, mm. friendly people uh, who kind of took me under their wing. Um, And it was, you know, the music was very emotive. Lots of people were crying and raising their hands and this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it um, just appealed and I was kind of swept up into the emotion of it all. And people were including me and stuff. And so I, you know, got saved. Uh, hmm. I, I, I'm, I still, you know, I don't know what to make of all of that really these days. Um, but I think, you know, who, who knows who they are when they're 14 really, and hmm. going through all of that fun teenage stuff. Um, so that, that was kind of, that was that for me, um, went home and, you know, told my mom that I'd, I'd got saved and all this kind of thing. Uh, and I don't know what she made of it either. <laughs> um, because I, I went pretty full on from there. Um, mm. So that was, you know, I was I was all in for a number of years, um, many years. I went to university and after university, I went overseas for 10 years with a missionary organization. Uh, I cringe now a little bit. Um, and, you know, when I came back to this country, and I think by the time I came back to the UK, there were definitely questions already. There were certain things, um, how women were being treated, um, mm. and certainly stuff around LGBTQ plus. Um, I just, I, I just had got to a point of kind of going, well, who, who is this hurting really? I can't, I can't see it harming anybody. Um, mm. that kind of stuff. And, you know, bit by bit, people started feeding me bits of literature, which, uh, would have been a little off, off, kind of out of the ballpark um, with my own background and questioning things like hell and this kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I ended up kind of going, well, I, you know, I don't really know any of this theologically. I wanted, I want to get back to the what was actually written down. I ended up doing a course in New Testament Greek, um, which was not taught by a Christian. It was taught by someone who described herself as an Asian uh, an atheist Persian Jew um and she was fascinating she was an ancient mm. historian and she said you know I don't care what you believe I'm here to teach you a language and a culture and it kind of cracked things open just being given that permission to explore a language without the kind of Frameworks around it uh and really mm, kind of go oh yeah. well we don't know what this word means and this word could mean this or it could mean that um and and that kind of stuff and I think Things really started to get unpicked and unpacked from there onwards, really. Uh, there was just a real freedom to explore.
0: There's a couple of things that strike me about, about that story. One is I've talked to a lot of people um, over the last couple of years in particular, um, but really over a number of years now. And if people weren't born into the the kind of charismatic evangelical scene, it is amazing to me how many say, when I was fourteen I got invited to a summer camp. <laughs> um very effective, those summer camps. I guess that's uh I guess oh, that's yeah. why they happen. Oh, yeah. Very um potent at a at a time in life. I mean, I remember, you know, I was I was born, I was one born into the church, but being fourteen is, is quite a time, isn't it? Um Definitely. Guess, yes, yes. Uh, and I
1: know, I mean, when I was in mission we had a thing called um I don't know if you've come across the 414 window, they called it. Um, oh, no. And, you know, at the time, I very much saw, wow, this is, you know, this is great. This is this framework. You know, between people, people are, you know, when they're between the ages of four and 14, they're at the most open to the Lord ah, and this kind right. of stuff. That's a great time to really target them for evangelism and get them saved. And now I look back, you know, perhaps more cynically, but definitely in horror, kind of going, wow, the targeting of children, because mm. you know, because you know you know they're, you know, they're learning like sponges, and they mm. are at a a vulnerable stage of life. Mm. Um, and to me, that's now um horrifying, really. Mm. Um, and I do wonder, sort of if my my mom had known the half of what I was being taught, um mm. would she have actually? Let me go to this camp and mm-hmm. subsequent camps after that um mm. I, I I don't know <laughs> she's no longer around to ask, but um mm. i uh, yeah I, I, it's it, to me it's now a little horrifying
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting thing, making sense of your own story in retrospect isn't it and I'm yeah. guessing yeah, in collecting a memoir of other people's stories that's something that probably you've not just done for yourself but something that um you were almost facilitating other people going through the experience of making sense of their own stories as well as they, as they tell them. Um, how did you end up coming to write this kind of book then um, where you're collecting all of these stories together from people who are, um, look, there's a lot of words for it, aren't there? Unraveling, deconstructing, whatever whatever, whatever kind of language people there's prefer no, to use. Yeah, um, there's
1: no perfect word, is there no, really? Um there's not. Um, and, and I can understand people who don't like the word deconstruction, it's not mm-hmm. a great word. Um, mm. I started, I was, you know, I'd, I'd read a certain amount uh, sort of around deconstruction and I got to a stage of kind of going, well, there's nothing, you know, everything seems to be quite American based, mm. which is great. But I i was finding the British experience is just different. Um And I was frustrated that there was very little which was um, British based. Mm. So I kind of thought, well, maybe I should write something. And then I thought, no, I can't write something this. I can't start, certainly can't write my own story. That's just way too terrifying and un-British. Um, uh, <laughs> and then I kind of thought, well, actually, one thing I really enjoy is hearing other people's stories and Hearing, listening to people tell their stories and giving people the space to tell their stories. Mm. Um, so maybe I can do something which pulls different people's stories together. And I didn't want it to be people who already had a huge platform, mm. because I think, again, if you have a huge platform, that has its own challenges when you deconstruct. Uh, but it is a different experience to those of us who have been sitting, you know, in the fifth row in church or the 20th row in church for however many years. Um, so I ended up putting a survey online. Um, when was that? That was, I think it was April 21. Um, and thought, you know, maybe I'd get 50 people to fill it in because it was quite an extensive survey. Uh, and I ended up with 400 people filling mm. it in. Um, and <laughs> of those, I interviewed 140,
2: mm.
1: and it, which was definitely more than I bargained for. I thought I might get 20 to interview. Yeah. Um, but it was just an amazing experience to to have people kind of go, yeah, sure, I'll fill it in. and Or yes, sure, I'll be interviewed. And to tell their stories to you know, for the most part, a total stranger, mm. often on the other side of the world. I had people from all over, um, and just trying to weave all of that together into something which was readable, yeah, uh, and and which hopefully didn't, um, which was hopefully you know honored their stories. Um, mm-hmm. Although I feel like honoring yeah that's still a bit of a trigger word for me coming out of that kind of <laughs> did you, you honor their
0: stories by gathering uh, them all together in a green room and serving them with uh, amazing uh food and and bowing before yeah, them as they walked,
1: walked exactly past you. yeah <laughs> and treating them like, like they could do no wrong exactly um but yeah trying trying to honor their stories but and also not expose anybody too much mm, um, because mm. that was definitely about half of the people i interviewed said you know can you give me a, a pseudonym? Mm. Um, and some, sometimes for really heartbreaking reasons, um, mm. just, you know, the, the consequences of people finding out that they were, that they were deconstructing, um, the family consequences, you know, the, the threat of marriages being ended or mm. access to grandchildren being taken away, um, wow. this kind of thing. And sometimes, because, for instance, they were clergy, there were quite a few clergy and pastors. Mm, um, mm. So that was that was eye opening as well, just to to see how many how many ordained persons were were <laughs> going through this often, in a very quiet, um, isolated way, because you know your job's on the line.
0: Yeah, it strikes me as a, I mean, it, there's something really understandable and sad about that right and in this kind of sense that we end up in this position where potentially both clergy and um well you know and participants and congregation community whatever language we want to give that uh, are all going sometimes we're well, not necessarily all but a number of them can be going through the same a similar kind of process but nobody's able to talk about it because the the kind of the unspoken rules and sometimes spoken are so kind of clear and strong that that everybody has to mm. keep going through the motions of kind of playing this out, regardless of the questions yeah. that are that are sitting beneath the surface. That's um,
1: I, I, I a think that must thing. happen quite a bit. Um, on the other hand, I did find probably three or four um, sort of ministers, pastors who had somehow managed to lead their church, their congregations mm-hmm. through a process of deconstruction together. Mm which just amazed me. And it was never an easy process. Mm. Um, But just that capacity to hold together your own deconstructing faith in a position of leadership with a congregation, some of whom are going through deconstruction, some of whom are pushing hard in the other direction Mm. and trying to double down on their faith because, you know, that's what we do as humans. Um, And yet holding the whole thing together and allowing people to have that space coming from a culture where that kind of questioning and that quite kind of going off on a tangent is so discouraged. Mm, mm. And, you know, huge respect to people who managed to do that. Um, I know of one church which went through that and actually completely disbanded as a church. Mm -hmm. Um, But others who have managed to stay together as a community uh, in whatever form their collective faith ended up taking. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, amazing to hear those Mm, stories mm. as well.
0: I do think that, um, you know, what you mentioned earlier about, um, I think one of the things that's really important about your book is is this holding of these voices that that aren't people with a platform or, you know, with a book deal <laughs> or, you know, with a big ministry that they're kind of, uh, or reputation. And um, yeah, like you, you said, there are certain challenges that, that come with that. But there is, um, I think... Something quite different about the experience of being in in the cheap seats and um, having and, and going through this process with so little power. I remember, I was at a um, a conference a few years ago, and there was a a pastor speaking who had had been on his own kind of journey of I don't think he would call it deconstruction, but a kind of a uh, an un, a, a re a, a deforming and a reforming, you know, whatever um, a, a re exploring and then sort of teaching these things and he had this question time and and I asked a question about um, some of the language he was using and whether he, people found that to be triggering um, depending on their experience um, and despite kind of being someone who had in so many ways kind of modeled this process for people he couldn't really grasp the nature of the question I was asking and it was and he sort of, sort of bemused by it, and said, "Well, I can't imagine that would be the case for anybody, you know, essentially." And I thought, what was really curious about that was, here was someone who was, even in their deconstruction, was kind of in control of the process to some degree of, mm. of what kind of community he was going to be in and how it was going, you know, and he could shape it and influence it. Um, now that's not like a, a a thing against him as much as it is what I think is so important about your book is that it's it's holding these stories of people who who don't have that kind of power who have to have the experience of what it's like to be, you know, your your, your regular run of the mill volunteer or, or whatever or just sort of Christian person processing all of this in in the midst of of larger systems that that make that process very difficult. What what kind of differences do you think? Maybe you, you heard in your stories because of the kinds of people you you spoke to. You know what what kinds of things do you think you hear from the voices in the in the tenth row? Maybe that we wouldn't hear from the the more influential folk. Does that question make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, I think it is that thing of power and power dynamics, and mm. um, that's something which came up again and again, and which I think you know you you do see so much of in sort of broader evangelical and Pentecostal circles is um you know the people in the tenth row, they they don't have power. They are there to follow. And mm. you know to follow the leader as much as to follow God, uh, really mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. There is that there is that too often there is that abuse of power or just a you know a silencing or, uh, a context where power is held in one place. Um, and even if you are not on the receiving end of poor treatment directly, it is a, an environment often of whatever, you know, whatever level of coercion. And Mm. I think that's something which the person in the 10th row very much experiences much more than the person who is platformed. Mm. Um, and, and i think this is there's such an emphasis often in those churches on you know being a leader and how great it is to be a leader and what a calling it is to be a leader and you can look at the stage and you can see those people who are in leadership are not being treated the same way mm. uh, it's not a you know it's not an equal system and that's very often i think you know i think if you have been in a position of power in any sphere whether it's in church or anywhere else it's very hard to often to imagine what it's like to be without that unless you Mm, have at mm, some stage been mm. without that so it doesn't surprise me that you know what what you say about this guy not really quite being able to get it Mm. um and not being able to let go of the power and the control either yeah Um, yeah I think that's you know in in many ways understandable, uh, if not if not great, uh, <laughs> but I think it is it is that experience of the person who's never had a voice, um, whose mm. questions have been silenced or um, strongly discouraged or or literally demonised. Often mm. um, there were there were an awful lot of people saying, well, you know, the bar was set so high you could never actually meet that, you know. You could never meet the bar of what we were being asked to do and think and say and believe and the amount mm. of time we were being asked to to give. And yet any questioning of any of that was just shut down, demonized. Mm. You were told you were being faithless, this kind of mm. thing. Um, yeah, so I think that came out an awful lot.
0: Yeah, it's, it strikes me that sort of deconstructing... Um, or rethinking theology without sufficient focus on that power conversation ends up probably not doing what it needs to do. I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah,
1: it's it's it, it can become just a you know it's it's not just you know, deconstruction isn't just an intellectual exercise. Mm. It's not just a kind of oh I changed my mind about this particular piece of theology. It's such a core identity thing mm. uh and i think those power dynamics really play into identities mm-hmm. uh in whatever way in whichever you know where your identity sits within a within a church power structure is very key to um i guess how you deconstruct but also whether you deconstruct
2: mm-hmm. uh
1: you know it's it, it was notable to me that of the, the clergy and pastors I spoke to who deconstructed, none of them were, I'm not saying this never happens, but none of them were the kind of big charismatic leaders. Mm. They were, you know, they were the women. They were right. the ones who were queer and had mm. to be closeted for decades. Mm. They were the ones who just didn't feel like they wanted to push people around, you know, it mm. They weren't. They weren't the the kind of powerful, charismatic types. Really, um, yeah. they were the ones who were genuinely asking, trying to seek after God, and run mm-hmm. into all sorts of questions with the stuff that they'd been told mm-hmm. to believe. So or you didn't have a lot of a hit.
0: Yeah, you didn't have a lot of a type um, um, male mega church. Um global mega church pastors filling out your survey is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> no, not too many of those <laughs> um, and you know of of the of the more charismatic personalities though well, those sorts of personalities mm. if if they if there were some, a lot of them had 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 to really kind of and you know there there were a few kind of quite charismatic worship leader types, but a lot mm. of them had to kind of go. Had had to reckon reckon with what they were doing with the power they had on a stage mm, and the power mm. to manipulate a congregation into an experience of God, mm. um, sort of God in inverted commas mm-hmm. in the you know and people were saying yeah I was absolutely taught this is this is the order you do this in and you know this song and then this song and then right before the offering you put in a you know a, a song about this or you write notes during the sermon and. Then do songs which chime with that and everybody thinks, oh, wow, God really spoke through that because, you know, or one person likened it to being sort of treated almost like a sort of shaman.
2: Mm, that you really mm. brought
1: the Lord and he was kind of going well what does that say about me that I brought the Lord like some kind of wizard shaman um Mm. and another person was saying you know I knew exactly if I could get the sound guys to do this uh when I was playing this song that would give everybody a real kind of ooh, holy spirit kind of feeling Mm -hmm. uh and he just said you know I just got fed up with doing that I just I didn't feel honest Mm. um so there was yeah there was the kind of there was that side of it as well and people having to reckon with the power that they had held and what they yeah. were doing with
0: it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, one of the phrases that, that stuck out to me in the book, I think that describes how people felt maybe prior to a kind of unraveling. So when they were still immersed within these kinds of systems. Um, I think the phrase was something like a, a daily cycle of either feeling wonderful and close to God or guilty that I didn't feel that way. Um, and I really resonate with that quote because it just sounds like, you know, a, quite a period of my life. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm interested in whether you kind of came across that a, a lot in, in the stories in the sense that like it's, it doesn't seem to be a case of just looking back and going, and maybe this is kind of obvious, but I, it was terrible and all, everything about it was terrible. But it's looking back at that and seeing, man, some of the time I felt so good but then there was this kind of flip side to it. Um, Is that something that kind of came through a fair bit, do you think, in in the stories of people you were talking to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there were many people who said the whole lot was awful. Because if the whole lot was awful, they probably would have left a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so many of us did experience um, some really good stuff, whether that was community and community support, uh, as long as you were, you know, saying the right things um or whether that was the kind of the high of um i mean i i sort of i guess it was my late teens the whole toronto blessing thing happened um yes. and i was not I I never fell over. Um I didn't even fake falling over. I was so earnest that I was gonna have, you know, I was gonna have a real experience or nothing. Uh turn out yeah. to be nothing. Um but but I think even if you didn't end up, you know, falling over and barking like a dog, um <laughs> whatever, um there was still there was still kind of a you know a high about being involved in all of that. Mm, you know, wow, mm. this amazing thing is happening and I'm part of this and and just I guess as humans being in an environment where there is a lot of emotion going on, you, you know, it's hard not to get pulled into some of it. And I think there is a high with that and a high, and I think, you know, I'm not going to discount the fact that there, I think there probably are a number of people who very much still feel this was a real connection with the divine. Mm, Um, mm. but, I think, you know, that there were definitely, definitely people were sort of saying, yeah, there was some good stuff and, and, and grieving that they no longer had that Mm. alongside the, yes, there was stuff which was controlling or harmful or, Mm. um, you know, misogynistic or homophobic or whatever Mm. that it's, it's a real mixture. And that's, I think what makes so many people's deconstruction stories, such a tangle to kind of sort through. Uh, yeah
0: yeah and, and I think it's something we've talked about a lot on in the shift before but you know the people from outside the system can sometimes look at how long it takes or why it feels like why it's such a messy process and be like why why aren't these people just you know walking away or leaving or but it is it's this tangled web of things isn't it um,
2: yeah
1: and I think even even therapists you know people were saying oh I, I had a therapist who you um, you know, I, I wanted to go to a, a therapist who wasn't a Christian, um. but they just said, oh, well, I don't understand why you didn't leave long ago. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so happy for you that you've managed to get out of this now. And, you know, this person was going, but but I'm not happy. You know, yeah. I've lost so much and my yeah. whole identity has been uprooted mm. and I mm. don't feel like celebrating. Mm. Um and, and and yet, people also who did feel like celebrating. So yeah, sure. You know, there's of no one size fits all. No, all. there's
0: not. But uh, that identity thing is is super important, isn't it? Because, and that's what, in some respects, makes kind of this kind of religious form of of this kind of process of of extracting yourself from a particular space that you no longer feel comfortable with. Um, so kind of woven through our sense of self, how we understand the self, how we understand our place in the world, why our life matters. Um, You know, it doesn't really matter that there are lots of people in the world who have purpose without religion or without their church context because if you've grown up or been immersed within that system for however long, it has come to shape so much of your sense of how you think about yourself, how you... Trust your own, I don't know, intuition and instinct, what it is to listen to your internal voice when that's confused with other voices, um, gods or the devils or the pastors or whoever yeah. else, whoever's, whoever's other voices are inside. Um, it's a Yeah, that, that identity question strikes me as a, as a really important um,
1: yeah.
0: way of thinking about why this is so complicated for people.
1: Yeah. And I think particularly when there are those claims to exclusivity, you know, this is the Mm. only way
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we are the only true believers. um, Mm. And, you know, and that gets narrower and narrower, the further down that path you go, you know, Mm -hmm. well, you know, those people, they think they're Christians, but they're not really. Um, Mm. I think it's the the narcissism of small differences. Um, But I think, yeah, that, (laughs) that, that claim to exclusivity can also make it quite you know hard to to leave and find community and purpose elsewhere at at times, particularly when you're taught that those other people outside who don't believe like us, they're all evil. They don't really understand how to love this kind of mm, thing. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's a huge shift for people. um and yet, well, and you know and church provides a very cohesive community yes it's, you know it's a it's a one stop shop for community whereas you leave and you kind of go oh i have to find bits of community at work and bits of community which the, uh, this club that i joined and bits of community in my local neighborhood and you know it's it's a bit more broken up and less easy to less easy to find
0: yeah that's it's interesting isn't it that you because sometimes the the because of the inbuilt sense of this is what community looks like you're then looking around for that one community that will replace whether it's mm-hmm. a church community, you know, you're looking for the next church community that will be better than the last one or for something else that will that will replace that. And I, I heard from someone the other day who was just reflecting on how even the notion of like friendship had been in some respects given a, a, a distorted, that had a distorted experience of it because friendships within this world were, you know, Six, seven days a week kind of friendships, um, doing yeah. everything together kinds of friendships. And now that they're out of that space, what does normal friendship even look like for people? Uh, because yeah. the only friends I've had really have been friends who I've been like in, like right in with, you know? Um, that's complicated. Yeah.
1: And it is. It's those very close friendships, quite intense friendships. Mm. Um, and particularly, you know, I think if you have yeah, if you've had the kind of seven day a week experience or if you've worked for a church or you've worked in missions and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but also their friendships based around, we all believe the exact same thing and actually getting out of those circles and going, Hey, I can be great friends with someone who I disagree with. Mm. Um, that's, that's also kind of a new experience. (laughs) Uh, and, and realizing that, Oh, you know, I can be great friends with those people I was taught not to trust, Mm. um, is, is a revelation, you know, it's, it's, Pretty liberating. Um, Of course, you do have to be careful about
0: being unequally yoked, Olivia.
1: Well, there is that, but you know that (laughs) takes on a whole new meaning when you leave the church as well. Um, But yeah, there's that's. It's always dangerous, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Um, Um, I think one of the phrases you use for the for the church is um, because because we've been sort of I think as we've been sort of teasing apart some of the intricacies and subtleties of the of the language especially around power and yeah, that exclusion type thing that you've been talking about you know we've almost verged on like the language of cult or cult adjacent at times but it's not quite mm. felt like the right language because there is still much more freedom to come and go um, I, in, a, in a sense um, but means- I really like the, the term you used which was like seeing it as a total institution um mm. Which is, I guess, hitting on some of what we're talking about. Can you can you kind of explain that idea of like a of a total institution? Perhaps is a maybe maybe that's a more helpful way of talking than a than a. Cult.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I may not get this entirely right. It's a it's a term sociologists use for um, institutions which are kind of a, a wraparound experience. Uh, so the armed forces would also be a total institution. Right. You yeah. know, they they are your employer on a very very full time basis. They also provide your accommodation. They you know it's. It is kind of a, a wraparound armed forces experience. Mm, um, mm. I think things like uh, boarding schools, likewise,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or prisons. Um sure, But um, yeah. I think the church can kind of become that, particularly when they are also your employer or your—you know—you are volunteering numerous days a week. They—they mm. they are your—they are your entire friendship group. They mm. are where you get your spiritual input. Um, and you know, for, for me, I, you know, I I worked in overseas mission and I was on a sort of mission base where, and I was out of, outside of my own country and we were, we weren't really, I'm not going to say we were discouraged exactly, but we certainly weren't encouraged to find community locally off the mission base. Mm. Um, and so it, you know, the group that you're with becomes your whole world, really. Um, And you are kind of uh, softly discouraged from leaving just by that sort of sense of, well, you know, we're doing the Lord's work and other people aren't quite as doing the Lord's work as we are, that (laughs) kind of thing. It becomes that, yeah, it becomes Mm, that wraparound experience. mm. Um, And I think church can very easily become that uh, to a certain extent. and a number of people were talking about how, you know, volunteering for churches, there's always more that you could volunteer for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas they left church and, and I've found likewise, you know, I've I've left and found that actually, you know, I've I've joined other groups where they're like where they're just kind of going, hey, you know, help us out as much as you, you know, you can or whatever you have time for. Don't please don't feel any pressure. Um you know, and even my little village church up the road. Sometimes they'll ask for people to volunteer. It's it's pretty kind of middle of the road, uh, Church of England, and sometimes they'll ask for people to volunteer with something like help us mow the lawn in the graveyard or something. But there's there's no <laughs> pressure. Whereas I think a lot of these kind of evangelical churches, and it's it's also it's it's a community. It's a it's a village invitation. It's not just people who are in the church help it's it's a sort of you know whereas a lot of the evangelical churches the congregation is constantly oh well you know you ought to be volunteering for all these different things mm. and coming to three prayer meetings a week and 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 mm. um yeah but i think yeah i think it does sometimes fall short of you know there are lots of different definitions of of what a cult is uh and certainly some of those tendencies would be present mm. in in a lot of the churches or the organizations I've, I've had contact with. Um, and I could look at things like Robert J. Lifton's kind of markers of thought reform and kind of go, yeah, I can check most of those off. Um, but it's, it is a spectrum. Um, and I, I don't think many of them are full on full-on cults, quite.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I, I took myself off that ledge a lot of like, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think cult is the right word. But then I find myself, yeah, checking off the little sort of like, yeah, but they do, you know, this and that. And, and just thinking about my own experience of, you know, hearing people being like deprogrammed from cults. And again, not feeling necessarily that I had to go through a period of deprogramming as such. But again, like sort of. <laughs> as, as well you know and just in terms of unraveling yeah. the those identity things we were talking about before um, yeah and when it's been a total institution and so friendships and and all the different spaces of your life have been defined by this one space um, yeah mm-hmm. it, it it raises some some challenging things well
1: and I think the um, you know the the pressure not to leave that's a big mm. big mm. red flag to me Um and you know, certainly th- there's a difference between, Oh, but we really like you. Please don't go. We enjoy your company. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, slippery slope. It's that yeah. sharp intake of breath kind of, Oh gosh, you know, so-and-so hasn't been along for four weeks now and mm-hmm. praying for you kind of thing. Um mm. it's, and it's often, it's often not an explicit pressure to not leave. Um, But it's just, it's, it's, it's subtle. Mm. Um And, and you know that people leaving, you know, they often, particularly if they leave under a bit of a cloud, they don't get to tell their story of what happened. Um, you mm. know, it's, it's told for them. And I think yeah. those are the things which kind of make me kind of go, mm, that's, yeah. you know, that's edging towards cult-like tendencies for yes. me. Yes, yes. Um, yeah.
0: Now, I am interested. You talk to, you know, 140 people um, who have gone through this process to some degree. How many of them did this deconstruction journey because they wanted to be cool or because they really wanted to sin, which usually means brackets, they wanted to have sex with somebody? Um, because this it's seems always, to be it's that, um, yeah. the, the main reasons that church leaders give for this process, which is that people are just trying to go with the flow of culture or mm-hmm. they're just looking for an excuse to sin. So is that something that came up a lot in your 140 people?
1: Uh, it's something people had been accused of a lot, um, um, but given the amount of heartache, uh, Mm. and massive overhaul of identity and loss of community and and sometimes loss of family relationships, no, I would not say Mm. that that was a factor.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, there was a lot of, you know, um, people, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting with the just wanted to be cool, um, Mm. thing because I think it's it's a way of sort of saying it's often a way of saying that um culture outside of church um is automatically wrong um rather mm. than going, hey, you know what, we can actually learn from those guys. Mm. And maybe they are right about uh, the plight of the planet and climate change. Maybe they are right about LGBTQ plus rights. Maybe mm. they are right about, you know, some of these other things. And maybe we should listen. But there often isn't that. There's a, you know, there's a doubling down um, mm. on on what we believe, um, and and a, a doubling down on the fact that they cannot teach us anything. So I think you dismissing it as, oh, well, you know, they just wanted to be cool, they just wanted to be trendy, is 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 another way of of distancing anything which doesn't chime with our pre existing pre existing mm. beliefs. Mm. Um, and I think in terms of just wanting to sin. You know, I just I don't think i again, I think it's a way of dismissing often people's mm. real identity and and perhaps you know if it I don't think anybody left to have sex <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, but let's face it, there are plenty of people in the church already doing that they yeah just keep yeah of about it yeah, um and you know it. <sighs> No, there was there was nobody. Um, I mean, I've I've also heard someone from the organisation I used to work for uh, who put a put a YouTube video online responding to allegations of abuse, numerous allegations mm. of abuse, and saying, "Oh well, the people who make those allegations, it's just because they want to be, um, it, um, you know, social media stars. That's that's right. the only reason yes. they're saying it." Yes, which again, that's you know, that's another permutation of the same. You know, you just want it to be trendy or whatever. Um, and, and a way of really dismissing some horrific, harmful behavior, uh, abusive behavior.
0: Yeah, that's horrendous, isn't it? And anyone who's spent any time with either being, you know, victims speaking up about abuse like that or walking alongside victims as they speak up about abuse like that. I know that very rare that someone's um, making that up for all the fun. Um, mm-hmm. of it
2: yeah
0: um yeah gosh one one of the other um, sort of defenses I think you mentioned um and I've certainly heard my fair share of is the like when, so when some of these issues are raised that people might be questioning or abuses of power or, or whatever it might be um that well no church is perfect kind of um kind of defense strategy you know well, um, you know, no church is perfect. And even if you found a perfect church, as soon as you joined it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, is that something that 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 comes up a bit? And what do you kind of think of that as, as a defense?
1: Again, it's one of those real slippery ones, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know, you're stating a bald fact. Um, but there's not quite perfect and there's downright abusive. Mm. Um, and, you know... <laughs> there's a, there's a long sort of gray area in between, um, of just an environment, which is quietly coercive. Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think again, it's a way of dismissing people's very real hurt, very real trauma, um, and, and some really poor behavior, um, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, not everybody did find you know not everybody were, had had an abusive experience. There mm. were people who were not traumatized by the church experience. They just there was one person who said to me, um she said, you know as a as a professional, I'm encouraged to have a reflective practice and I try to um apply that to other areas of my life as well, including my faith. and just over the years, as I reflected, you know i I underwent a profound shift in my faith, but it wasn't traumatic but I'd say she was in the minority. Um, for an awful lot of people, it wasn't that their church was, no church is perfect. It was, it was much stronger than that. Um, because Mm. I don't think again, coming back to this fundamental human need to belong and fundamental Mm. need to have a consistent identity. People don't just leave because it was a bit imperfect. Um, or because they just they didn't like the worship, you know. You don't leave a community and uproot your identity for that. Mm. Um, it was it was a lot more than that.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot a lot of these stories, um, especially from the people who have gone through this kind of full unraveling process. It's not like they were just sort of flitting around looking, yeah, looking for the the best church shop to attend. Mm. Which, had, which ticked mm-hmm. all the boxes and then they didn't find all the things they wanted, so they decided not to be a Christian anymore <laughs> you know something something yeah. like that that seems um, a, a very again a very convenient kind of shallow way of trying to characterize people's experience and perhaps mm-hmm. demonstrates a um, for, for some who who are kind of defending in the church in those ways other than just the kind of convenience of those arguments, perhaps actually just being so distanced from real people <clears throat> Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. In the sense that they don't 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 actually hear those stories, you know. Yeah, and believing your own PR, I think that's a massive thing. Mm. Of well, look at the good we're doing, Um, Mm. so we can't Mm -hmm. possibly either imagine that we could be doing any harm, or if we can imagine it, we can't possibly acknowledge it. Um, You know, and I think the 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 really there was a, a very public example of that with the whole Ravi Zacharias thing and women who had been horribly assaulted um being silenced because it would they were told it would you know undermine um what god was doing um mm. and ravi's ministry and this kind of thing and and i think again there's a spectrum of that Of we can't possibly look at the abuses being perpetrated in our church because that would undermine all the work all the the good work we say that god is doing um yeah. Or tarnish our image, or whatever. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: there is that believing of your own PR. Yes, yeah, so I suppose we all we all want to believe our own PR to some degree, which is perhaps oh, why. Just, absolutely, yeah. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> but that's why it's think, so important know, but, to like you know,
0: cultivate community where where we have opportunities to have the questions brought and the challenges raised and the. You know, all, all that kind of stuff. Like that's important for yeah, us. Yeah, and we? I think
1: it's you know it's rare in the world, but mm. I do think if the church is claiming moral authority, mm. um, or perhaps just moral superiority, um, <laughs> you know, there's an imperative there to actually ask those hard questions and to mm. really be reflective. Um, and I think, you know, there are churches out there who do that. It's just that. Within that very kind of um, flashy evangelical sort of, I don't know genre, whatever <laughs> um, that seems to be, unfortunately very rare mm. because there's mm. the need for for marketing, mm. <laughs> for PR.
0: Um, I think it's really interesting to uh, certainly this is feedback we got from in the shift, which is people who who get in touch to just talk about how maybe um, surprising, but also comforting it is to hear other people talking about such similar experiences to to theirs. Um, I think it's interesting in, in kind of reading your book and hearing stories of people from all over the world and finding, you know, your own thoughts or your own experiences or your own kind of like question, like train of questions being, being narrated in other people's stories. Um, and there seems to be a lot of resonance, like in a lot of, different places different contexts and yeah not all necessarily big fleshy evangelical charismatic churches but all sorts of different spaces where people are, are processing the same kinds of things were you kind of surprised by the by the resonance of the different stories or the way they seemed to um tell in in some way although they're all telling very different stories they are kind of all, also somehow telling this the same story almost in some sense or at least on some level yeah
1: i think yeah i think there were you know it was quite apparent quite early on that there were some definite themes that came up. Mm. Um and some of the, and, and some of those were literally the same phrases that had been used. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there is that kind of jargon and the phrases we've all heard. Um, but yeah, it it was, you know, it is that thing of it's not it's not the same story over and over again because people had very different stories, mm-hmm. but such overlap of experience, such overlap of Uh, people's questions being silenced, um, people um, receiving or or witnessing homophobic behavior, people Mm. um, not allowed to, you know, just sort of having one very narrow theology and not allowed to explore other theologies, even, you know, other Christian theologies. Um, So I think there was, you know, an awful lot of overlap there, um, Mm. which was kind of a mixture of... um, surprising in a lovely way that look we're you know we're all out here we're going through this together mm-hmm. um and and also w- when it came to the you know the multitude of negative experiences it was also really depressing
2: mm-hmm. yeah. um
1: just how much um poor behavior and uh traumatizing behavior is is out there mm. um in in spaces which really you know, make a claim to safety
2: mm. uh
1: so yeah there was there was a lot of overlap um and you know in in many ways that was that was kind of why one of the reasons I ended up writing the book the way I did because so many people go through this and feel so isolated. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of say, no, look, we're all out here. Mm. There are so many of us in different stages of this journey, and some have been on this journey literally for decades. Um, there were a few people I interviewed who were in their seventies and had deconstructed ages ago, mm. um, <laughs> and some people who we're just starting out on that journey and we're just kind of going, oh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and everybody in between and and people who have landed for now in very different places, whether that's, you know, still serving as a minister, or whether that's complete atheist, or whether that's mm-hmm. pagan, or whether that's just moved to a more mainstream version of church. Um mm. so it was really that kind of um that kind of thing of just of going, you know, you're not on your own. Uh, there are so many of us mm. who go through this
0: that um that sense that that the stories like take us all in different places is I think also super interesting to me in the sense that perhaps coming out of spaces where there is yeah one community or one way of seeing this inbuilt sense that okay, so if that's not the thing, then where are we all going? <laughs> you know, where mm-hmm. are we all going together then? And the kind of, the discomfort sometimes people experience because actually where everybody's going is a hundred different places, not necessarily yeah. all following the same track from here. Um, and yeah. I just think that's, you know, that's evident in, in the stories you share. And I think it's really important, especially for the crowd who maybe are like, okay it's all right that we can deconstruct but let's all make sure you know that we that we've got a good plan yeah. for reconstructing too so that we all end up sort of back in the back in the right place at the end of all of this um and just kind mm. of yeah recognizing that that that's not the way this plays out
1: no definitely not and i think again that's a uh, I think, again, that's very often an attempt to control Mm. what people believe and and what Mm. people's spiritual journey looks like. And one of the real keys about deconstruction is, you know, it's, yeah, there's so much overlap and so much resonance and there's so much individuality. And, Mm. you know, if you find that something else works better for you, um, if you find, I mean, certainly I find an uncertainty, at the moment, just really freeing. I don't mm. have to know what I believe. I can just say, I don't know. And that's a really, really liberating place to be. Um, and other people have found other things liberating and it's mm-hmm. it's overturning all those assumptions and kind of going, oh, yeah, I, I went through a period of kind of going, well, w- what do I do now? Do I, do I convert to Catholicism? Do I, you know, what? where do I land now? And then kind of going, I don't have to, I don't have to sign up for anything. Mm. Um, and and a lot of people have sort of said you know similarly with relationships everybody who's gone through purity culture teaching that was another huge one mm-hmm. um just kind of going i can have a relationship and it doesn't have to go anywhere i can right. have a, i can go on a date and not already know i'm going to marry this person <laughs> um, and and just how liberating that is yeah. to kind of to not need to know to not have to have everything sewn up in nice neat little mm theological or relational boxes um, Mm. and to just kind of get to explore whatever, books, Mm. thoughts, philosophies, relationships, whatever that were completely off limits before and find life in those.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a sad thing to me that um, curiosity has um, become so devalued within like, the Christian faith spaces, you know, that, um,
1: Oh yeah. yeah. To the extent that, I mean, I I was not the only person who sort of, of the people I interviewed, not the only person to be told, Oh, you know, you shouldn't study theology because it might make Um, you question your faith, (laughs) which just, you know, it's laughable. There's, you know, even if you're just staying within Christian theology, there's two thousand years of scholarship out there, and surely mm. some of them had something reasonably interesting to say or that wasn't dangerous. <laughs> um, but to actually be told not to study theology yeah. is just oh, baffles me now. Um, let alone all the other dodgy, dangerous things that aren't Christian. You know.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's, it should be. It should be perhaps a. Cause for reflection. It's not usually, but it should be that you know, like, don't, oh, you've got to be careful going off and learning how to read the sort of the Bible properly because then you'll stop, you know, believing all the things we're telling you. Like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways to talk about that, aren't there? <laughs> um, there? might be a different way to narrate what's going on there. But anyway, yeah. um, mm-hmm. d- you mentioned a bit earlier in our, in our conversation that there are a few things that people kind of missed. Um, from their from their old lives as such um, is there anything that kind of stands out to you in that sense in terms of what people kind of not necessarily I don't get the sense a lot of people want to go back but
2: Mm-mm.
0: that um, there are things still that there may be feelings of of nostalgia for or of like just kind of a realizing that that's a left a hole still or I miss that that um what 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 are some of those things have you you come across those
1: yeah i mean i think you know we've already spoken about community and that would probably be the biggest one yeah um and there were people who were still really grieving that loss of community Mm. uh, really grieving friendships which had fallen apart um and and often with a certain degree of cruelty um actually Mm. as well um which was which was heartbreaking to hear how people have been treated by by those they'd you know, really seen as friends for years and years. Um, Mm. I think a lot of people found that um, they wanted to be, they still wanted to be part of something bigger uh, than just Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. and were looking for, well, where do I find that now? Um, Mm. And some had found it um, and some were still looking. Mm. Um, People missed the sort of that sense of, that easy sense of, well, we all believe the same thing. Um, and I know what you believe yeah, because yeah. that's what I believe in. And, and that is that is a really easy way to be. You yes, know, that's, that's yeah. great if it works for you. Mm. Um and and some had found that in one one person had um, joined a political party here in the UK and um, and they said, you know, I, I kind of found the same thing, but then it started to feel more and more like church and then they passed an offering plate round at the end. <laughs> and so they were a little put off by that um, because they also felt like they were supposed to believe certain things. Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, missed, you know, some people said I I miss singing with everybody or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but you know, you, you can find that in other spaces. Um, Mm. yeah, I mean people, it was, it was the relational side of things. It was the identity side of things, um, that people missed. Um, and some people found a way to, um, find that outside. Um, or, you know, and there were plenty of people who had joined, just more mainstream churches and and found that, but with a great deal more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so there was that too. It wasn't a total sense of loss. Mm. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that kind of certainty and and like tied together with friendship thing is uh, it's really potent, isn't it? And it's um, yeah, and works well. And I think the, so well. The safety of having. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The safety of having all the answers as well. Yes. You know, if something goes wrong in my life, I have a way to explain it. Yeah. Um, if yeah. I need to know what to do in my life, if I need to make a decision, I have a framework for making that decision. Yeah. Um that's has a real safety in mm. that. Um and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons I call the book uncertain is it's sort of differentiating between belief and certainty. Mm. Um and that sense of certainty of having it all tied down and knowing the answers. And, um, yeah, it's quite black and white, but, and, and certainly I think it's quite easy to come out of that and to replace the old certainties with new certainties yeah, yeah. and essentially keep the same, I guess the same way of thinking, I guess the same way your brain works, um, but just with a new set of certainties.
2: Mm,
1: um, mm. and there's, you know, I think there's probably a, a, a safety in that as well. Um, but yeah, that safety being. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of it's like a, it's, it's a safety that comes with because there's all these relationships attached like the sense of it's a it's an intensified form of belonging that that gives mm-hmm. such a sense of kind of meaning and, and safety to it until you like think the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or question yeah. the wrong thing and then yeah and then perhaps because it's so safe and sure and certain the the drop When that starts to fall apart is pretty can be pretty severe.
1: Yeah, Um, and I think I think it's I keep trying to think about it in terms of you know humans and how we evolved, um, Mm. perhaps to the extent that we have evolved. Um, (laughs) But you know, what do we basically need? You know, some of the things we need most are belonging Mm. and a sense of self and a sense of identity and a sense of agency. And I think often in in those quite controlling church spaces. Those are often at odds with one another because, mm. in order to belong or at least to fit in, you, you know, you you have to not have so much of a strong sense of agency. And I think it's often actively discouraged in those yeah. churches. And yeah. the sense of self is often actively discouraged. Mm. Um, and and trying to, I, I think, any time you you push too far, sort of in in the direction of one of those things, the others are going to get drowned out um, mm. in any context. But certainly coming out of church and kind of going, oh, you know, I've, I've lost all this this belonging, um, but I don't have to keep trying to fit in. I can find a sense of self mm. and a sense of agency. Um, mm. But then how do I deal with the fact that I've lost, you know, how do I find healthy belonging yes. uh, with a sense of self and agency and you know, mm. all that tangled up stuff?
0: It's, um, which are such important questions, you know, for, for us. Mm. Um, do you think all of this is like a you know, as you talk to all of these different people, and I'm sure you've probably heard from people since the book's come out as well and keep having conversations. Do you think what's, you know, as you think about all of these different people around the place, and really your yours is a snapshot of that in many respects of a, of, of a lot more people than the ones you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this is a significant kind of time or shift going on at the moment in kind of, the space in church in terms of people asking these questions and, and unraveling and deconstructing or, or leaving? Um, or do you think that this is maybe just sort of the normal ongoing leakage that always happens? It's just, it's getting a bit more kind of, I don't know, airtime or we're talking about it more. Do you, what do you kind of, yeah, do you see anything kind of bigger going on at the moment or, or, or not in all of this?
1: I don't know. I, i hope that it is part of something bigger um but it's it's hard to i'm not, not the first person to compare it to the reformation mm. um and i sometimes wonder if we're being you know a bit arrogant about that but maybe we're not maybe this is something big i think that white evangelicalism has had such a profound influence on the church as a whole mm. um and not necessarily in a good way in terms of the controlling behavior, in terms of things like purity culture, um, and homophobia and this kind of thing. And I wonder if, if people have just got to a point of kind of going, you know what, actually at, at some point people will walk away from a controlling system. Mm. Um, and we've seen that with other perhaps political controlling systems. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah particularly through the 20th century, maybe it got to a point where it became so controlling that people have just kind of gone, no, Mm. no more. Um, And I look at things like purity culture, a lot of, particularly the women I interviewed um, and and numbers of of others as well, had grown up with their parents not knowing what they were being taught about Mm. purity culture. And I kind of go, well, you know, with the whole true love waits movement, maybe all that stuff just got so much more strict and controlling that that is the generation that are going, you know what? No, I'm mm. I need to unpack this. I need to reassess this entirely, um, and maybe some of that, you know, there's alongside that, those really controlling teachings have have got people to a a breaking point where where they're really forced to reassess uh, what it is they believe. Mm. Um and go through that kind of profound shift. Um, so yes, I I think, you know, maybe, maybe we are going through something mm. bigger. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you know, one of the people I interviewed who had been a, a Southern Baptist pastor, he grew up, he said the church I grew up in was so strict that I wanted to be a Southern Baptist because they were so liberal. Um <laughs> and he grew up to become a Southern Baptist pastor and um and was sort of forced out basically in the end. But he said he still lives in one of the southern states of America and he really sees people kind of doubling down. And he said, mm. that, you know, the, the thing is a dying mule kicks the hardest. Mm. Um, and he, he his point was, you know, he sees this form of church dying around him. Mm. But. The ones who are left are, are kicking back hard, mm. um, and he, you know his concern was, what damage are they going to do in the meantime? Yeah, uh, with yeah. that kicking, but um, but I think you know maybe yes, we are in the midst of something something bigger.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting interesting dynamic to reflect on, even in terms of you know if you think when maybe the strength of that purity culture stuff came through, and I think it probably a similar time is when you know the the more excessive forms of church growth. Kind of movement, type stuff hit mm. as well, which was its own form. You know, maybe thirty years ago, however long ago it is now, I've lost perspective on time and getting too old. Um, but uh, you know, its own form of the church is kind of losing its social and cultural place in the world, and so we've got to find these ways to to hold on and and come up with new ways to reinforce or solidify our position, so to speak, uh, and kind of fight mm. that battle. And so, yeah, in, in all of these different spaces, it's interesting to think about it in terms of that that desire to kind of hold on more tightly is in itself yeah. the, I mean, it's classic kind of, it's the classic mm. thing that happens to institutions, isn't it? Uh, mm. As you start to experience that challenge, you hold on more tightly and the act of holding on t- more tightly is the thing that is kind of um, the cause of of more decline or more people seeing the light or deciding to, um, leave and find some freedom elsewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, and I think it's, you know, it has to be a healthy thing though to, to shake things up from time mm. to time. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it's, you know, I think a lot of the the churches where you have one real charismatic leader in charge, well, increasingly, particularly in Western culture you know people are looking more at egalitarian systems mm. and less this kind of single authority figure. Um, so I think the kind of the the age of the the one controlling leader, I think you know as humans, I think we'll always look to someone charismatic to lead um unfortunately, perhaps. Mm. Um, but So I don't think that will ever die out. But I do think that kind of authority figure who can be quite controlling, there's also, and I'm really encouraged by people younger than me who are, you know, a generation who are kind of going, hang on, actually, um, I am engaged with justice issues. Mm. I am engaged with, I am switched on to what abusive behavior looks like. Um, I am, you know, I, I do care about these things enough to potentially walk away from my community. Um, and I think that will have a huge impact as well. I hope that will have a huge impact. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. Um maybe as the last kind of question, if you if you maybe you could say one thing to to people who are you you know, you talked earlier about um how the people you had 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 chatted with, there was a real range from people in their 70s who, for whom this had been a long thing and then people who are right in the like the the throes of the, the early phase of this where everything feels like it's a bit chaotic and swirling around and what am I going to do and how is this all going to play out? Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of, of like those people for this question. Um, what would be one thing you would say to, to people in that particular place, that kind of place of oh my gosh, is this all going to be okay or am I okay doing this or, or or whatever?
1: I think just that, you know, of all the people I I spoke to, there was nobody who really regretted it. There was nobody who it, – it's it's hard mm. for a lot of people. It really is. Of course it is. Um, but I don't think there's anybody who just sort of said, oh, you know, I wish – I wish this had well. There were some people who said, "I wish this had never happened. I wish I'd never started questioning anything." Um, but uh, none of them wanted to go back. Yeah, and yeah. none of them found that there was nothing on the other side. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people initially worry. You know, will I lose my salvation as well? That was mm-hmm. that was definitely a worry, um, and I think that's a worry which you kind of. Uh, you come through the other side of that one. Um, wherever you land, you mm. come through the other side of 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 real fundamental concerns like that. Um, you find new community as well, you find new ways of being and and a new side to yourself and a new way, I guess, of integrating who you were mm. in those church contexts. And that's that's something a lot of people had to battle with as well. How mm. what do I do with things that I I did and said when I was in mm. those contexts and who I was in those contexts. So it gets better. It really does. Um, even though it can be hard and tangled and it really, you know, it, it can throw up a lot of tension. But the the authenticity on the other side. Um, I, I talk about the other side, but actually, you know, I think it's a, a life- lifelong journey really mm. uh, for for a lot of people. The authenticity and the freedom and One thing I found is, you know, all the stuff that I was promised in a controlling evangelical system, I found once I left, (laughs) Mm. you know, the irony of that, um, Mm. of doing all the wrong things um, was that I found the peace and the love and the freedom and everything else. Once I left those, that system Um, Mm. and just life, life gets better. Life moves on, life gets better. And you're not
0: alone. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for, for having this conversation. Um, really appreciate not just the time sure, well. to have the chat now, but the, the work in bringing these stories to, um, to life and to, to the public conversation. Um, the book is, just uh, for those who are listening, Uncertain, A Collective Memoir of Deconstructing Faith. Uh, encourage you if you are looking for a sense of um, making sense of your own story or of some solidarity, some um, sense that you're not alone in some ways of trying to navigate through. It's a, it's a book well worth reading. So thank you, Olivia. Really appreciate you,
1: well, thank you joining as well. in the
0: shift. Yeah. So there you have it my conversation with Olivia. Thanks so much to Olivia for taking part and being willing to talk to us uh, from the UK. And uh, of course, thanks as always to Reese Michel for taking the
2: audio that I give him and turning it into something listenable in your ears. Until next time.